This is The Talking Dead, a podcast dedicated to the AMC TV show, The Walking Dead. Hi, my name is Jason. And my name is Chris. And this is The Talking Dead, episode number 551, recorded Thursday, September 30th, 2021. September the 30th. Happy International Podcast Day, Jason. Oh, it's that day again, is it? It is that day again, yeah. I think it's, I think September 30th has been podcast day since about 2013, something like that. So, uh, for a little while now, but it is indeed today. There's a lot going around on Twitter about podcast day. And I think therefore it's fitting that we are recording a podcast on international podcast day. Tis my friend, tis. Tis. Well, what are we going to do here on the podcast uh, today? That is a very good question. And it has a very easy answer. Of course, that is read and listen to the feedback that all of our wonderful podcast listeners have sent in about the last episode of The Walking Dead, which is season 11, episode number six. Cool. Also, the ratings for this episode I have right here in front of me. And uh, this one, it's a bigger change from the last couple of weeks. Do you think it went up or down, Jason? I think it's different people. I don't think the numbers went up or down. It's just just different, uh, different people are watching it than we're watching it last week. So last week there was whatever, 1.9 million people or something like that. I don't have the, that number in front of me. Yeah. And this week you're saying there is a completely different exclusive set of 1.78 million people watching. Uh, okay. So that is a big change, but uh, yeah, it could be like completely, like there's no, you're not saying it's the same people, right? So it could be totally different. I mean, <laughs> I watched it, you watched it, but uh, other than that, it could be a totally different set of people. Maybe uh, some of these listeners probably watched it. I don't know. I haven't read all the feedback yet. <laughs> yeah, you never know. Well, 1.78 million down for sure. Um, still in that, you know, high, just under 2 million range, but 1.78 is pretty low for this show. And, uh, you know, is what it is. Uh, we'll see what happens in the next two as we get to the mid season finale, see if it mm-hmm. jumps up again. But that is for another day for today. As I said, it is listener feedback day and we're going to start that off right now. Listener feedback. Our first email comes from Jennifer in Minneapolis and Jennifer says, do I believe that these devolved people somehow herded Virgil and Connie into this mansion? Do I believe that they are somehow able to completely clean and whiten all the bones of their eaten carcasses? Do I believe that a dozen people have all chosen to walk on hands and feet almost exclusively, even though it is extremely difficult to do for even 10 minutes? To all of these questions, the answer is no. But that didn't stop me from loving the horror of this episode. The silence during Connie's scenes was absolute genius. My husband had to pull his feet up onto the couch because he was so scared. I loved it all and was delightfully frightened. Lovely. Yeah, it speaks to the fact that there was um, silliness in this episode. But, you know, the sum is greater than its parts and it sort of came together as an impressive, scary uh, episode that caused Jennifer's husband to uh, curl up into a ball on the couch and uh, yeah. cry like a little girl. And uh, right into the fecal position. The fecal. 
<laughs> that's not exactly the position you want to be in, but you know, I mean, that's, that's. Well, if you're scared, you know, that it makes sense. You go, you crawl into the fecal position. Yes. I'm, I'm sure that's exactly what she meant. <laughs> yeah. There you I go. Cried like a little girl. That's the important part there. I think so. Yeah. So, and, and basically what Jennifer said here, I think is, is a much more eloquent way of expressing sort of what I was trying to say about the episode before. It's like, sure, none of this stuff makes a ton of sense, but it still was pretty good. And I think there was a lot to like, and I had a, got a lot of uh, enjoyment out of it. So thank you, Jennifer, for summing that up for me. Yeah, for sure. And we're going to, uh, I'll talk about it a little bit later, but, uh, you know, classic horror movie stuff doesn't work on me. And I think I need, uh, well, let's talk about it now. We'll talk about it again a little bit later. What I need for horror movies is to be around people who really enjoy horror movies. I've never enjoyed a horror movie more than watching one with Dave, friend of the show, Dave, right. who's a big fan of horror movies, always has been. Uh, watching a horror movie with him is way more entertaining than watching one alone. And it's not because he reacts in any way. It's just that. I enjoy how much he enjoys it. So watching horror movies by myself is a waste. Sure. They don't, it doesn't work. Uh, I enjoy watching it with, uh, with my son, what horror movies, what I mean by that is, uh, Scooby-Doo. He likes to be scared. <laughs> he, uh, you know, he will go and as he's watching something, if something, uh, makes him uncomfortable, he'll jump down from the couch and go hide behind the couch or around the corner and stuff. And he'll peek out and we'll ask him, is this too much? Do we want to stop it? He's like, no, I like it. Okay. <laughs> we keep watching it. I enjoy watching it with him. So as he grows older, he's going to want, want to watch more and more horror movies, I assume. So I will watch them with him and be able to live vicariously through him. So I think basically what it's boiling down to, Jennifer, is I think I have to come to your house and watch the show with you and your husband. I think that- Curl up on the couch. In the fecal position. I think that's a great idea. In the fecal position if I need to, but I probably (laughs) won't be scared, but uh, (laughs) Minneapolis is a long way to go. So maybe that won't happen soon, but uh, maybe if I could watch this with someone else, it'd be a lot more entertaining for me. Okay. Well, I mean, I'll, you'll, you will, as you said, have to go over to Jennifer's place and, and watch there and, and you'll get more out of it. But, uh, that's, that's really nice. And I also think it's nice that you, you derive enjoyment out of things through other people's enjoyment. I mean, it's probably not just Dave, but watching something like this in a theater full of people, right. Who are into it and reacting and stuff like that might even improve your experience too. Right. Yeah, and I remember going to see, uh, you know, on a very similar note, if I may go down a rabbit hole, uh, as I want to do, mm-hmm. uh, you, you remember the band from the uh, the 80s and early 90s, The Pursuit of Happiness? I sure do. They're not a great band. I mean, they're okay, <laughs> but they're not they're not a fantastic band. They had uh, they had moderate success in Canada anyway. I don't know if they had any, what their success was outside of Canada. But uh, I remember one time seeing them uh, in concert and I was standing, uh, there was the way the bar was set up, uh, that it, they were playing in, in Sault Ste. Marie, there was a, a bar beside the stage and me and, uh, my friend Mike were watching from beside the stage so we could hear the monitors and not the, the front of house sound. And we watched them play and they had so much fun playing, especially Chris, the guitar player. She had so much fun, uh, playing and she just was oozing enjoyment out of uh, performing on this stage. And the whole band was like that. And I never loved watching a band more 
than watching the pursuit of happiness who like, you know, I can take or leave or take whatever. But that experience was absolutely amazing just because of how much they loved playing. It sounds like you found happiness. I did. It was, uh, it was very much the, uh, pursued and found, but it was a surprise too. Cause I was expecting, what the fuck are we going to go see TPOH? Like why? But we went and saw them and I loved it. Well, that's great. I'm, I, I, I like that about you. I like that. And I, I experienced it too. You know, that's one of the reasons we watched all the Marvel movies with the kids and star Wars and stuff that they like. I enjoy that. They enjoy it. You know, it's fun. It's fun for me. Yeah, absolutely. All right. So that was one email. <laughs> See <laughs> yeah. if we can get through more of these uh, as we go. So next we have a call from uh, Reese. Correct. All right. Hey, Chris and Jason. It's Reese here from the UK. And I'm just ringing in to say, like, holy freaking squacamole, man. Um, what an episode that was with, with Daryl cutting someone's finger off, Connie coming back. The show becoming an absolute horror show, which actually had me sitting on the edge of my seat. I'm not going to lie. Um, you know, multiple golems will do that to you in life. Uh, the, <laughs> the nail ripping bit literally made me nearly pass out. <laughs> it caught me off guard, man. I wasn't expecting that for a second. And that was pretty hideous. Uh, followed by, you know, lopping off a finger because that's just what you need in your life on a Monday hour. Monday evening um and then uh yeah I don't know man that whole thing was uh to start with it was a fantastic episode I enjoyed every little bit of it uh Morgan 2.0 is really cool character I'm starting to like him more and more and of course it's good to have Connie back um but yeah the horror show was actually pretty freaking intense probably the most horror styled episode I think we've ever had in The Walking Dead uh I can't wait to hear what you guys think about that and uh, yeah, all in all, great episode. Uh, good to have some of the characters back and probably my favorite episode this season so far. Uh, I know it's a bit far-fetched to have the Golem dudes running around, but at the same time, it added some like seriously creepy value to the episode. And um, who knows? Maybe people go feral after 10 years. <laughs> Maybe. Anyway, take care, guys. Thank you so much for the show. As always, you guys are entertaining, and uh, I hope that your head's feeling better as well, Jason, um, because, yeah, what you went through sounds pretty horrific, bro. So um, take care. Be careful taking the rubbish out, and um, get some shoes with better grip. <laughs> take care, guys. Bye-bye. All right, thanks, Reese. Uh, so sort of some general thoughts on the episode there. Uh, sounds like he really liked it. But um, when he calls, uh, when he mentions Morgan 2.0, I guess he's referring to Virgil. Maybe there's some yeah. similarities there. And Maybe. I just wanted to, you know, call that out because I, I don't think Virgil was very uh, loved, very much loved as a character. And I know we haven't seen him too much lately, but what he did, what he put Michonne through and stuff like that, uh, people were a little upset about. I wonder... I wonder if this episode is going to do anything to endear the character of Virgil to the audience a little bit more. Yeah, I think I'll probably just die. Well, he's not well, dead he, yet, but... Well, not yet. That's why I said probably. Yeah, okay. <laughs> yeah. So, I, I don't know. I don't expect him to stick around very much longer. I'm not so sure. I think he might become part of the cast, at least for... I mean, the whole show isn't sticking around that much longer, right, Jason? So he, I think he'll he'll have a few more episodes. He might come to the forefront again and then probably be killed off once, just when we're all getting used to him, right? Yeah, probably. Some, something like that. I don't know. 
And then he mentions that, uh, you know, those, uh, those golem people, which I appreciate the term, uh, you know, maybe people go feral after 10 years. Yeah. I mean, it's like a pig, right? You let a pig loose and it turns, uh, we learned uh, through a listener that uh, pigs will go feral. They'll grow tusks and uh, get like tough whiskers and stuff. Uh-huh. And uh, so I, maybe people will do that too. I mean, I haven't grown tusks or anything, but my whiskers are a little stiffer than they were 10 years ago, maybe. Uh, so maybe I've gone a little feral. Maybe. I mean, I'm way hairier than I was 20, 10, 20 years ago. I'm, I'm well on my way, I think. Yeah. But you have a group of people. You don't think that they would go as, uh, you know, raised by wolves as these fine folks. Uh, you don't, because they would have a social group to interact with, but obviously their social group has interacted in strange ways mm-hmm. uh, to uh, make them go off the deep end so, so much. But uh, maybe they're just, uh, yeah, maybe they're just golems. Maybe they're just like Smeagol. They've gone underground for too long uh, and their their eyes are getting bigger and they're learning, they're forgetting how to walk upright yep. and they're talking to themselves and uh, they've uh, given themselves birthday presents. Uh, and they call it their precious. Maybe they do. Maybe they do. We have, uh, we have another theory on, um, how they became like this coming up in a minute, but first, uh, I've got another email here from Matthew on the internet and Matthew writes, just listen to your recap episode and wanted to make a quick comment. I think Jason was correct when he mentioned the monster people were herding Connie and Virgil into the house. Herding is the key there. From the cold open, when they are running, they look back and see something coming after them in the bushes. At the time, we didn't know what it was, but after the fact, knowing that these monster people move on all fours, it is more obvious that there were several of these people chasing them. It was Virgil, not Connie, sorry Chris, that pointed to the mailbox and mentioned that there might be a house where they can hide. Later on, when Kelly and the group are looking for them, the mailbox is taken down. I suppose to avoid other people finding the house. One can assume this group of monster people have been herding, trapping, and eating people they find in the area. Oh, so they are creating a theatrical horror show, right? They're uh, they're toying with their food to make them uh, more fearful and therefore more delicious. Because we know when you uh, slaughter people to eat them, if they're afraid at the time, they're much more delicious. Like we learned that from Terminus, right? Where they got them all leaning over on troughs. Oh God. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, I assume that's true in this universe. I don't know about ours, but in the walking dead universe, I assume that to be a true fact. Yeah. hundred percent. I guess what I, what I didn't pick up on, well, two things. I did make the mistake of, uh, thinking it was Connie that, uh, wanted to go towards the house, but it was actually Virgil. I don't think that changes my mind that, you know, it might have been better to have Connie make that decision and then have Kelly make the same decision at the end of the episode. I think that's a missed opportunity to show some um, connection between those characters. But I guess it wasn't her, but it was Virgil. Um, But then the other thing is, I didn't really pick up on the idea that the, uh, the Gollum people were chasing them through the forest at the beginning. And maybe that was obvious and maybe I'm just, you know, kind of adult, but, uh, I didn't really pick up on that. I thought they were just escaping something and, and probably zombies and they ended up trying to hide in this house. So it all does kind of make a little more sense to me now that Matthew's pointed these things out. Thank you, Matthew. Uh, next we have a call from Simon. Hey guys. Um, just want to say, I love the podcast. Been listening for many years now and it's managed to keep 
be interested in Walking Dead because there's been some parts that have really tested uh, me as a viewer. But, you know, still still here. I'm definitely going to finish everything. Uh, in relation to this week's episode, I actually thought it was pretty good. It was actually made me jump a few times and was actually quite scary at points, which is something that's quite rare. Um, obviously with the usual amount of torturing that you need in any episode. Uh, but I think the guys who were feral, those feral people, they, the age they were <clears throat> would probably mean they were kids when it all happened. So the fact that they're in that weird house maybe is because someone kidnapped them um, and kept them in there so they, as young children and they didn't grow up were an educator or anything, and they lived in that house. The person who was keeping them there died, and that would maybe explain why there's these 20-year-old uh, weird people. So maybe that's the reason. Um, but I imagine we won't find out anything else about this. <laughs> so it'll just be left there, and that's the end of that. Uh, but, yeah, who knows? But maybe. <clears throat> All right. All right, thanks, Simon. So, what do you think about that theory, Jason? That they, these are these were actually kids, and and these people weren't that old, and sort of turned into this because they were abandoned or not raised properly, or something like that. Yeah, I suppose it could be. I mean, if they were twenty, that'd be one thing. If they were sixteen, I don't know if they they were sixteen, but if they were sixteen, that means a, a decade would be they were six, right? Or maybe seven or eight or whatever. So it's, it's entirely possible. I mean, if anything has, uh, if uh, Mad Max Beyond Thunderdome has taught us anything, it's that uh, kids can get awfully weird uh, in a short period of time. Uh, you've, you've seen Beyond Thunderdome, <laughs> I, right? I mean, having children has taught me that kids can get awfully weird in a short period of time, Jason. <laughs> no, without parental uh, involvement. Yeah, right? yeah. So, you know, uh, Mad Max meets a bunch of kids and they've all gone weird. Uh, so I suppose that's entirely, entirely possible. I don't know if they'd turn out like weird, uh, you know, Smeagol people, uh, where they're walking on all fours and they, uh, paint their bodies white. Maybe, maybe that's related to the bones. Maybe they pick the bones clean in order to grind them into bone meal so that they can cover their skin with the bone dust to make themselves white. I don't know. We're, we're, that's the thing. Were, were these people covered in some white stuff like yeah i i don't feel like you ever really got as that good a shot of them in in the light i mean it was all pretty dark no. in there they weren't just regular people they were the they had uh they were very white ish okay like so they were powdery white ish so maybe it's bone powder eh, maybe i don't know and then the eyes were scratched out i thought it was some some uh goopy material but i think that might have been incorrect too but i i don't know it, maybe there's maybe there's something to this but, you know, growing up under or, or being young during the early days of the apocalypse and going from being like a, a younger child turning into this, I mean, in, it's not outside the realm of possibility, I suppose, because if they don't have guardianship from a responsible adult, I mean, they have to find ways to eat and, and, and continue to live. And this is what they turned into. It's kind of weird, but why not? Yeah, I'm almost 50 years old and I feel like that all the time. But I'm <laughs> left alone without adult supervision and I have to find ways to make, 
me eat or get me to eat and my family too. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I do not feel like a responsible adult, but I am, you know, by all measures of what adulthood is, I'm a responsible adult, but sure don't feel that way. I know what you mean. I get the same feeling all the time. I have imposter syndrome for being a grown up. It's weird. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you, Simon. Next is a call from Jordan. Hi, Chris and Jason. This is Jordan in Pennsylvania with my feedback on the episode on the inside, specifically my thoughts on what I call the Gollum people. Now, I've thought about this before I'm saying it, and this is not hyperbole. I really think that this is the number one stupidest thing this show has done in 11 seasons. It would be ridiculous enough having one person running around on all fours and dressing in rags and just growling except for saying hungry. But then they have a whole group of people doing it. They're either just going along with it or they somehow think it's a good idea. How are they going to catch anybody moving around like that? I just tried running on all fours right before I sent this voicemail and I can walk on two legs at the same speed, except walking takes a lot less physical exertion. Now, I don't want to only get down on the show, so I'll also say that I thought some of the classic House of Horrors stuff was fun. Virgil's knife coming through the wall was a fun take on a classic trope. And I'm glad to have Connie back. I'm curious to see how this is going to influence Daryl's storyline. Keep up the good work, guys. And Jason, I'm glad to hear you're doing well after your injury. Thank you so much, Jordan. So stupidest thing the show has done. Jordan, are you sure about that? I mean... There was dumpster gate. There was a uh, terrible CGI deer. There was yeah, that was a pretty bad deer. Yeah, there was the van. There was Daryl shooting a rocket into a lake and it catching on fire. And the lake exploding. There was the van falling off the bridge early on and landing not upside oh, yeah, down, ma- but on its van. on its wheels. The magic van. <laughs> you know, I don't know if we could go on, but. I don't know. There was uh, the governor when he went to the military base and the people were falling and the and the music was playing, the slow-mo music was playing. Uh, that was pretty bad. I don't remember what you're talking about there. Oh, he had, uh, the governor went to some mil- military installation and started shooting people and people, slow-mo people were falling down. Oh. And it was very, uh, it was very bad. It was very, very bad. Right. The, that the- stuck out at me. That was like season two, three, three. Yeah, it was a while ago. I think I remember you talking about that. I think your main gripe was uh, the governor, just some dude, could walk in and take out all of these highly trained and skilled military guys. And the way they yeah. did it just looked stupid. So, uh, yeah, so I don't know. I mean, I, I respect your opinion, Jordan, on this one, but uh, I think there's a few examples. Uh, I do wish there was vis- video evidence of you trying to run on all fours, though, because uh, I think if you're gonna if you're going to film yourself doing something that's a good opportunity <laughs> yeah right <laughs> so and, and <laughs> yeah, also th- sure. thank you for doing the research on that for us uh you know yeah it's not it. just uh it's not just opinion it's it's, it's experimentation it's uh, it's uh, empirical results absolutely <laughs> yeah, i love so it that, uh, that's good uh and uh, i appreciate the uh, the well wishes uh, everything's, everything's well. It's mostly just itchy now. And now I have to get the staples out, which I really don't want to do because that's a whole thing. I have to fucking go somewhere and get done. That's I coming up soon, right? Myself. Uh, on the weekend sometime. I mean, do you want me to come over and do it? I'll do it for you. Uh, I think a medical professional should probably do it because, uh, oddly enough, I have like weird thick hair. So, uh, my mother wanted a picture of my wound 
And uh, Jenny tried for like 20 minutes and couldn't get a picture that showed any staples. Oh. the hair just covers everything. Uh, well, and the whole thing is within the hairline. Like th- there's nothing sticking out of, from under my hair. So just by looking at me, uh, and if I told you the story, you'd think I was faking it unless you, you know, I took your fingers and, you know, felt the staples cause you can feel them. That's for sure. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, it mostly just itches and I have, there's no pain or discomfort anymore. Okay. Well, I'm just saying I have a pair of pliers. And I know no, how to I use them. No, I have, uh, the doctor at the hospital gave me a stable remover. He ah. said, take this, uh, bring it to your doctor or to a clinic and get them to take out the staples because they won't have one of these. So Ooh. I have a medically sealed uh, surgical staple remover. So I hope you get to keep it after. That'd be a fun tool to, to have. I really don't need to collect stuff that like that. I got <laughs> enough tools that I don't use. You collect everything else. You don't want a surgical staple remover? A used medical piece of equipment? No, it's fine. Thank you. Used on your own head. It's not like it's, you know, one that's been used on some random stranger. Okay. Random thought. And my biggest concern right now is that uh, I'm going to have somebody remove these staples out of my head. And by everybody's account, they're kind of hard to find because of my hair. And the doctor, when he told me he put them in, I heard him mumbling and counting to myself. He said, there's about 24. I'm like, well, fuck, dude. Is there 24 or is it a different number? Because, you know, the ones that you put in have to come out. Yeah. Right? I'm, I think you mentioned <laughs> that before. So um, just keep track and uh, stay keep on track top of, of what? The- I don't know how many number, how many are in there. Well, I just rely on the diligence and the expertise of the person doing it. I'm sure they know they're going to know what they're doing. Yeah. Well, yeah. Makes me want to do it myself because I can feel them. Right. And I'll, <laughs> I'll know. So that's, I don't know. Anyway. That, that's a worse idea than having me do it. Doing it yourself. I took stitches out before on my finger. I had seven stitches in my finger. I was supposed to go get them out because they weren't dissolving stitches. I just fucking took some fingernail clippers and clipped them and yanked them out. Well, that's great and all, but I mean, you can't see the top of your head, so. <laughs> can't I? Okay, maybe you can. I'm not the sure. The answer is I can't. No, absolutely not. I all can't right. See the top of my head. <laughs> okay, so thanks, Jordan. All right. Uh, next, we have an email from Other Mike in London. Uh, Mike writes, I really wanted to like this episode, but unfortunately I struggled with it. By all means, give us some terrifying old school horror, but God damn it, don't give us the freakiest, trippiest shit in The Walking Dead history and have it happen to someone both severely sleep deprived and who's hanging out with a guy that the audience can't trust because of his history of drugging people with hallucinogens. I kept waiting for Connie to snap out of it and didn't believe anything I was seeing in that house until the Alexandrians turned up right at the end. I'm sure on a second watch it'll work better for me, but I can't be the only one who felt a little cheated this episode. I have to say that I think the fact that they didn't do some goofy twist like that where she was imagining it or it was some sort of sleep dream or something is a credit to the show because that would have felt cheaper in the end, right? Well, absolutely would have felt cheaper. I mean, they've done that, uh, you know, many times and, uh, people worry about it happening more and more often. Like there was the whole Bob Newhart show, which was a dream. They've had whole episodes where people like they did that in soap operas where people died and the whole season was a dream or what have you. Yeah. Wasn't that uh, Dallas where a whole season was a dream? It could have been, it could have been Dallas. It could have been a daytime soap. Okay. Uh, 
I'm not really sure, but it's been done to death and nobody's stupid enough to do that again. I would hope not, uh, you know, and it happens though, as you said, not, not as much in these primetime dramatic shows, I guess, but I don't have any evidence to base that on. Like maybe it's happening all the time in primetime shows. I don't know, but I just think they, other Mike, maybe they wanted you to sort of feel that way. And then the relief at the end when it wasn't is, is one of the things they were going for. And it sounds like you had that experience. So, you know, not, not terrible. It, I got to think it would have been so much worse if Connie did suddenly snap out of it and was like, oh, we're fine. None of this happened. I'm actually back in a comfortable bed in Alexandria and uh, Daryl's lying beside me. Like no one would have yeah. liked that except for Daryl lying beside her probably. Well, that would be horrible, horrible, horrifying and horrible all rolled into one, Uh, you know, even though it's a horror show, but uh, that would be, that'd be unfortunate. And uh, I'd, you'd be be in danger. I'd be in danger of breaking my screen if that happened, Uh, (laughs) because I might throw something at it, but luckily I'm less than arm's reach from my screen. So if I went to throw anything at it, uh, it's not an ideal distance away from my throwing arm. So it might survive. But anyway, luckily it, that didn't have to come up. Okay. It did not have to come up. That's right. Good, good, good on show and good for your TV too. Yeah. I've never thrown anything at my TV. My brother has, my brother got mad at, uh, uh, Wayne Gretzky one time and threw a dart at the television. Uh, but it was one of those old cathode ray tubes. So it was like a glass tube, glass screen. Yep. Took a big fucking chunk chip out of the uh, television screen. But, uh, uh, he didn't break it. TV still worked. Yeah. I think if you threw a dart hard enough at the TV I have now, it would probably go right through it. <laughs> it would just stick right in. That'd be the end of it. Stick in, yeah. But we couldn't watch hockey on the TV anymore because the dot, the, the screen would move and you wouldn't be able to tell whether it was the chip out of the TV or the puck that was moving. So you couldn't tell where the puck was watching the goddamn uh, hockey game on the TV. I, I feel like that's the same problem you have now trying to watch hockey. No, I don't have a problem differentiating between dots on the TV and the hockey puck. I just don't have any real enjoyment. Back then, when I watched hockey with my family, I enjoyed it. Oh. Because other people in my family enjoyed it. Oh, see? Brings it all back to that. I just say that because I know there are some people that don't watch hockey because they can't follow it and they don't. And now that comes with some practice and some experience, obviously. But if you can't follow the puck and you don't know what's going on in the game, Personally, I still think there's lots to get out of it, being a giant fan, of course, but I I can understand how there might be a little barrier to entry there. And, uh, yeah, you know, it, it's not that I can't follow it. It's just that I don't care. You don't want to follow it. I, I just don't care. All right. Well, Sorry. That's okay. You don't have to apologize. I care deeply about certain teams. That, that's fine. <laughs> of that's, course. That's okay. All right. Well, uh, Steve in New Jersey writes in, we'll find out what he cares deeply about. Steve says, I couldn't help but think of Maggie's horror story from episode two during this episode. Maggie said that she had to kill three things that looked like men, something along those lines. I was wondering if I was the only person who instantly thought of that story when the monkey people started jumping around. So we have monster people, golem people, and monkey people now. uh, But... I think Steve makes an interesting point. Like there is a, some correlation there. Like these people Maggie was talking about, she, what did she say? Like you wouldn't call them men or you, you know, something like that, but uh, a similar thing here. 
Except one of these was a woman. Woman. Well, right? yeah, okay, people. So but, you know, I don't. I don't know. It's. A, it. I have a hard time believing that uh, a group of people that would do that to women. Uh, you know, get them impregnated, cut their arms and legs off, and have them be baby factories. I have a hard time believing that group of people would include uh, women as equals. Yeah, no, I totally uh, agree with that. But um, I think just as a as a parallel, in a way, right? The story that Maggie told kind of makes you, or watching this sort of makes you think about that story that Maggie told, maybe just for the mm. horrificness of it all, you know? Yeah, okay. All right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, next, we have an email from Matt in Lindenwald, New Jersey. I like when The Walking Dead does horror episodes. Jesus' Jesus's death is still one of my favorites. The Connie and Virgil haunted house stuff was great, and the silence of Connie's scenes was a, was fascinating to watch. When they used music, it had a real Hitchcock vibe Hitchcock vibe to it. I'm sad that Jason always finds horror aspects too cliche. He's not exactly wrong, but it's hard to be incredibly original when horror movies and stories have been around for so long. You can get some originality out of Rob, Rob Zombie movies, but they are usually so weird slash disturbing that I don't uh, that I don't want to watch them more than once. Yeah. You know what, man? I don't know if I've ever seen a Rob Zombie movie. I don't know if I've ever watched one because I just get that feeling that they're weird and disturbing. And I like my horror. I like my thrillers, my scariness, but I'm not so into the disturbing. You know what I mean? So I don't think I've ever seen a Rob Zombie movie unless there's one that is uh, that I've seen without really realizing it. But I feel like that would be tricky to do. I've never seen a Rob Zombie movie and my desire to watch Needle just get buried at no when I think about Rob Zombie. Like there's so much content out there that uh, there's, unless it's the same as Home, Home Alone. Yeah, the only way I'm going to ever watch Home Alone is if I'm forced to and it's happened. Of course. Uh, I made the mistake of telling some family members that I had never seen Home Alone. They're like, oh shit, well we got to put that on right now. I'm like, oh, I got fucked over by that and I had to watch the whole thing <laughs> I've seen it of course my kids enjoy Home Alone or they did they haven't put it on in a little while but it's a Christmas movie so there's a chance it would come on at Christmas in this house again I, we're at a stage there where this does not mean I have to watch it with them so though so that's nice that is nice yeah I don't even know if I own Home Alone I, I don't think I ever uh I couldn't willingly put it on and watch it, watch it with my family. I couldn't do it. I'd have to leave the room. Until your son someday wants to do it. And then you'll enjoy his enjoyment out of watching Home Alone. I don't know. I think it'd be more of a, uh, your mother's going to watch this with you. I'm going to go play video games. There's enjoy a, your afternoon. There's a scene in Home Alone. I'm pretty sure it's Home Alone 1 because I've seen the second one too. But uh, the kid is up on the roof of a building and he's throwing bricks down at one of the robbers down on the street. Yeah. And these bricks are like bouncing off this guy's head. Uh, and yeah, I just found Macaulay it horrifying. Culkin's a fucking sociopath, uh, if not a psychopath in those movies. Uh, it's deeply disturbing. Well, I found that part deeply disturbing. Like speaking of disturbing, I do not like watching bricks hit a guy in the head. You know, sure. Whatever. They might be made of foam or something like that, but you're supposed to believe they're bricks. And that scene really bothered me. I found it, just disturbing thinking about what would actually happen if a brick fell 
six stories and cracked you right in the head. Like, that's terrible. Yeah. Uh, the second one has Donald Trump in it, doesn't it? It He's does. In New oh, York. he goes into Trump Tower and Trump, yeah, he passes him in the hall. He asks him, does he ask him where the bathroom is or something along those lines? Yeah. I've, I've never seen it. Oh, I know. Don't make me watch it, but I've never seen it. I just know these things about these movies. And the third one had Hillary Swank. Is that right? That I'm not sure of. I don't know if I've ever seen the third one. Oh, maybe I'm thinking of uh, Karate Kid. No, I'm thinking of Karate Kid. That's true. That is true. She's in one of the Karate Kids. Yeah. I haven't uh, seen those either. <laughs> you should go back and watch the original Karate Kid. It's a very good movie. I, we, we watched that with the girls and we all really, really liked, liked it. Okay. Karate Kid's worth it. Trust me. Karate Kid's worth all, it. All, all right. All right. Okay. Uh, who's next? Me? Hugh's <laughs> next. And then it's an easy job because I just have to introduce a call from Emma. Hi guys, it's Emma from Leeds here. First time calling in, uh, just because I could not let that episode go by without saying, my God, did that freak me the fuck out. Um, it's been a really long time since a TV show or a film or anything has really shit me up like that. But as soon as Connie saw the eyeball in the wall, I was on the edge of my seat for the rest of the scenes. Um, the whole horror house vibe was absolutely amazing. With all the hidden passageways and the sliding doors, um, the threat of the feral people who lured them in were absolutely terrifying i couldn't even tell at first if they were human or walkers um and i loved all that all of connie's scenes had absolutely no audio track so we're experiencing exactly what um she was experiencing um lauren ridloff did an amazing job her acting and expressions made the whole thing so much more intense and i can't praise her highly enough for it um i can barely even remember what happened in the rest of the episode to be honest because the horror house stuff just absolutely massively overshadowed all of it um absolutely loved it i think it was a brilliant episode cheers guys keep up the great work bye thank you very much emma so we're getting into talk of how good lauren ridloff is now as connie yeah. uh yeah no that that i thought she did a fantastic job i thought it was good yeah she's she's really great um that's one of the reasons i like to see her back on the show because she is so fantastic uh and and I, and I just like the character. Um, I think we've had silent scenes before, sort of the Connie mm -hmm. perspective yeah. before on the show, but it takes on a whole other significance, I think, when you put her in such a, a harrowing situation, you know what I mean? To, to realize that she can't hear things sneaking up around her or, or anything else that's going on. Really, really quite something. And and she does such a good job. Such a good job. I'm going to watch her. She's one of these people I've decided, you know, Lauren Ridloff, press play. You know, that's, <laughs> I used to think that about Connie Britton. Speaking of, uh, of, of Connie, Connie's. <laughs> Connie's, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, that was one of the big reasons I just watched The White Lotus on HBO because she was in it. Uh, and it turns out like she was great in that, but she's not the best part of The White Lotus, which was a really good show. Um, but Lauren Ridloff now, yes, I think I have a huge crush on her and I'm going to watch her in anything. Yeah. Connie Britton. I like too. I mean, uh, Friday night lights. Absolutely. Uh, American horror story first season. Absolutely. But then Nashville, I watched for a little while, but I couldn't do it. I couldn't keep it up. I couldn't keep, uh, I couldn't keep a straight face with that show. Mm, I never watched Nashville. Actually. That's a good point. I, I thought about it because she was in there. Um, but I don't know. Along I don't with know. Hayden Penetier, Penet, 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 Hayden Penetier from 
Heroes. She was in Heroes, Heroes. right? That's right. Yeah. 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 No, I don't know. I, I never got around to watching that one. Uh, I do remember thinking I probably should, though, because Connie Britton. Uh, but may- maybe there was something else. Maybe it was the Hayden Panettiere that sort of balanced out my desire and lowered it a little bit. I'm not sure. <laughs> it's a bad show. I'm okay. sorry if anybody likes that show, but it's just, it's too soap, soap opera-y to be, uh, to be enjoyable for any length of time. Well, I'd it's go ju- ba- It's just too sappy. I would go back to Friday Night Lights for sure. I love that. And uh, speaking of that show, that's one that I might put on the list to watch next with the kids once we're done with our Lost Marathon. Absolutely. I've, uh, I've watched Friday Night Lights a couple of times, like the original watch through as it was being aired and I've gone back and rewatched it at least once. Uh, and it's, yeah, it should be, it's, it's on deck for me to watch it again too. Yeah. Good show. Yeah. No, I thought Solid. it was an amazing show and that surprised me a bit because I have so little interest in football, but as you know, it's not really about football and that's what I'd have to sort of convince my kids of too, because, um, they would probably look at that and go football show. Why would we want to watch that? But well, there's so it's much like, more to it. It's like the walking dead. It's not about zombies. Yeah, it, true. It's, it uses zombies as a backdrop, uh, for its storytelling mechanism, but it's not about zombies. Yep. So yeah, it's not a football show. It's just, that's the backdrop for the storytelling. I agree. hundred percent agree. All right. So next we have another call from Yolanda. Hi, this is Yolanda in Atlanta, and I wanted to leave my feedback on the episode called On the Inside. And I just want to, you know, I have subscribed to AMC Plus, so I've been sitting on this for over a week now. I just didn't want to leave my message too soon. Um, But I just want you to know, I thought that this was probably one of the best episodes that I've seen in a long time. And I watched it in my basement and I was screaming my head off at the movie, um, at the, at the show. And, um, I think that the actress that plays Connie deserves an Emmy nomination for this. I mean, to portray the fear and everything without uh, expressing a single word. I really also love the use of silence in this episode. It kind of, I don't know if you guys were fans of Buffy the Vampire Slayer, but it kind of reminded me of the episode Hush in the way that they use silence. Um, And I really thought it was quite witty and it made it that much more intense to be able to see what was going on in the mind of Connie, someone who couldn't hear that's being chased through a crazy house like this. All right. Thanks for everything you do. Have a great, um, have a great, uh, next episode and next few episodes of the season. I'm looking to see where this is going. Thanks. Bye. Thank you, Yolanda. So yeah, sim- similar, uh, sentiment there. Just so good. And, uh, Florin Ridloff is nominated for an Emmy. I would support that in every way I could. Although we do not get a lot of Emmy nominations for acting on The Walking Dead, do we? Not a lot. No. No, if any, actually, you know, they do, they win sometimes, uh, special effects and things like that, you know, Nick Taro and so on, but, uh, we don't seem to get the acting or the writing nominations even on this show, but maybe she'll change that. I, I would think that would be great. Maybe they don't take the show seriously. I think is the problem. I think that might be the problem. Yeah. But I mean, they should, they should take this show seriously. It was the most watched show on TV for a long time yep. and it's running, running for 11 years. So clearly there was somebody taking it seriously. So why doesn't the Emmy Academy or whatever it is? Well, I mean, people 
forget about stuff that is long running and stable. Like there's, there's, I can't think of an example at the moment. So this is a bad story, but, uh, there's television shows out there that I didn't watch and, you know, forgot that existed and then come back into, uh, you know, into my awareness. And I, and, uh, I realized there's 14 seasons. Yeah. What the hell? Like, uh, uh, it's always sunny in Philadelphia. I've only watched like a handful of episodes. There's like 75 seasons of that so far. <laughs> Something like that. Yeah. There's just, there's so many. It's just, it's, uh, it, it happens and it's a good show from all, everything I've heard about it, Sunny. Uh, it's, it's a solid show. It's funny, but I never really got into it, but that doesn't mean it's not good. No, totally. I agree. I, I have, I work with some guys who love that show and they talk about it sometimes. And, uh, and I'm sort of the same way. I'm like, I'm aware of it, but I've never watched it and I don't know why, but it's been going for, for quite a while. Isn't uh, one of those doctor shows, Grey's Anatomy or something like that, like that. I haven't watched that either, but it's going into, it's like 1 millionth season or something like that. I watched the first season of that. Of course uh, you Grey's did. Anatomy. Yeah, of course I did. Uh, but I couldn't, uh, I, again, too soap opera-y for oh, me. Yeah. Well, those long runners I, sometimes just fade into the background a little bit for people who aren't into it, right? Yeah. Well, it had Sandra O. Oh. The first season, I'm like, okay, Sandra O. Oh, uh, that's got, that gives it some credibility. And I was missing ER, uh, cause I liked that show. So I thought, okay, Grey's Anatomy, uh, you know, it's the name of a textbook. It's got Sandra O oh in it. I'll watch it. And at the end of the season, I'm like, ah. Okay, this is done. I'm done with this. Didn't and it had the uh, the theme. It had Tegan and Sarah in the. Uh, I think one of the opening shots was a song from Tegan and Sarah. So, uh, you know, I was all in at the beginning. I'm like, this is going to be great, but it wasn't. But it wasn't. Didn't ER do that too? Like it went on way longer than people think. Is, uh, it, is it still going? It's not still going. Is it? <laughs> it's not still going. It okay. ended. And Doctor Green was the first prime time uh, use of the word shit. Ooh. Uh, on, uh, on broadcast television, Dr. Green had a tumor and he said the word shit and it was a big deal. It's a very big deal at the time. So, uh, it has that milestone. Okay. Well, I never watched an episode of that either. So I, I couldn't tell you. I'd go back. I'd go back. To watch ER? Yeah. I'd watch ER again if I could uh, find out where it is. Okay. It's probably out there somewhere. It, probably. All right. Next is an email from Kale in Victoria, Australia. Kale says, how absolutely chilling were the scenes from Connie's deaf perspective? Not being able to hear what's creeping up behind you is pure horror scary. It would have been brilliant if all of Connie's scenes were from her perspective. Everything in silence except subtitles when she's looking at Virgil to read his lips. That would have been a lot more suspenseful in my opinion. It's a little too out there. But it, I think it's a good idea. It, well, it might be a little much, right? A little yeah. too much. Uh, leave them wanting more is a good approach here, I think. Do it a bit and, and shock people and surprise them and delight them and then leave them wanting more. Yeah. It's uh, if you accent everything, you accent nothing, right? <laughs> I, uh, I think I've heard that before somewhere, but you, I think yeah. you're right. Yeah. So they, they used it as a technique to punch up certain scenes to make them a little more dramatic, a little more horror-y, uh, pure horror, scary kind of ish. Uh, so I think they used it effectively, uh, you know, doing it for all of Connie's scenes might've diluted that. So, yeah. uh, but it might not have, you know, who knows? Maybe they tried it and it didn't work. 
I, it's right? possible. It's possible. But I think I think they hit the uh, sweet spot, in my opinion. You know, right? And 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 it worked. Unlike our next email, which is yours to read. All right. Next, we have an email from Ashton in uh, Houston, Texas. I did not care for how they relied on using Connie's deafness as a device to scare or entertain us. Randomly cutting to silence was scary, but I feel like it, uh, feel it's a bit obnoxious to keep reminding us that she is deaf. And why can't Connie make fart sounds with her <laughs> mouth when, or something to avoid being stabbed through the wall due to miscommunication? So after having everything we just said, I don't think I really... Uh, agree with Ashton. I, I do think they hit the right spot for, for using this technique. I respect his opinion though, about, uh, you know, it being obnoxious that, you know, they're reminding us that she's deaf, but why can't she make some sort of actual human sounding sound? So, um, Virgil would stop stabbing the knife through the wall. I, I don't know. Okay. I don't know. Okay. I mean, uh, you know, as far as fart sounds go, not everybody has the, uh, the skill to uh, fart on demand. Uh, no, that's true. <laughs> I so don't think that's that, what he's saying though. <laughs> no, obviously not. But if she can't make sounds with her mouth, maybe she could fart, right? <laughs> make a nice loud fart to get through, uh, you know, and plaster walls are pretty soundproof. Like, uh, you know, you got wood lattice and then the plaster on top of that. That's, uh, there's a lot of sound dampening in, in, in plaster and lattice. Yeah, that's true. It's, it's thick and it's wood and plaster and stuff like that. Uh, and to be fair, I have to believe that Gollum people fart too. So it doesn't really give you away as human by doing something like that. That's true. I heard a fart. <laughs> Must be living people around. <laughs> Is there someone in my walls? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Oh, yeah, it's hard to say. All righty. Uh, Tallahassee's twin brother writes, The sound work. Wow. I have said before that I love silent set pieces, and here it is crafted so effectively. By cutting between the polarized auditory experiences and perceptions of Connie and Virgil, the viewer never gets to relax. Where there is silence, the engaged viewer is compelled to watch for silent threats behind her. Virgil has his full complement of senses, but it is he who gets attacked. Connie's look of terror as Virgil's knife explodes somewhat inexplicably threateningly through the wall by her face is pure and classic horror art. Wow. And I, and I just love how Tallahassee phrases and writes things, uh, because once again, Lauren Ridloff is Connie amazing. And he's right. That's one of the, her best scenes when she's in the wall, the knife's coming through and her expressions of terror were so good. So good. I, yeah. I want to like take a screenshot and print it out and put it up on my wall. Put it, make it your uh, desktop. Make it my desktop. Also a good idea. Probably easier than printing it out and putting it on your wall. And yeah. And probably, probably look at it a, more often too. Do you have a color printer? No, no. I have a black and white laser printer. <laughs> yeah, me too. <laughs> yeah. So wouldn't look so great, but you know, I'd do something with it. So uh, it would be staring me in the face all the time. You could get it, uh, you could convert it into ASCII art and then print it out and then put that up. Oh, good idea. I don't know if that would have the same effect, but I'll give it a try. There's also apps out there that allow you to Legofy, Legoify the, uh, an image, and then you can order pieces to, uh, to make that in Lego. Is that a thing? Really? It, it absolutely is a thing. Oh, cool. <laughs> Very cool. All right. I'll keep that in mind for a future project too. 
Yeah, absolutely. All right. Next, we have an email from, from Bill in New Jersey. There's been some speculation about what kind of house Connie and Virgil were in, and I have a theory. Maybe it's just my American history teacher brain going wild, but I am all in with this. The house with the hidden rooms and tunnels may have been a very, very old house that was part of the Underground Railroad. If you look at maps, one Underground Railroad route goes through the uh, Alexandria, Virginia area, and then through Maryland on its way north, eventually to northern free states and on to Canada. I assume this particular house is in the Virginia, Maryland region. Some Underground Railroad homes have simple rooms that people would hide in for a night. Others have hidden tunnels within the house. Everything else else about the feral adult plotline requires some suspension of disbelief, but the way this house's walls were falling apart, its location in the U.S., I can certainly believe it could have been a home from the Alabama, antebellum era. So Bill in New Jersey might have my favorite email of the week because I think this is an absolutely brilliant explanation for why this house is the way it is. And of course, this comes out of our discussion a few nights ago uh, about, you know, what's the deal with this house and why are there moving walls and space and space inside the walls and stuff like that. And to explain it this way as sort of a safe house along the Underground Railroad, I think is absolutely brilliant. And I completely buy into what Bill is selling. Uh, yeah, Bill, you're absolutely right. And, uh, you're so right that it makes me feel bad about going on about how much bullshit that house was. Uh, <laughs> so that makes perfect sense now. And, uh, I'm in, and that is now canon as yeah. far as I'm concerned. In my brain too. Absolutely. I think it's amazing. Uh, Bill in his email also wrote wondering if, you know, up here in Canada, we learn about the underground railroad in school and he sent some links and things like that. And, uh, I can tell you, Bill, we do. We do, in fact, learn about the Underground Rail- Railroad in school in Canada. I don't know if it's taught in uh, in other countries, you know, where our listeners are in the UK or Australia or around the world. I'm sure if you do any studying of American history, it would be, but I don't know how much they get of that, you know, in their high schools. But where we live, at least where I went to high school, Jason, you can confirm if uh it's the same for you but we did a segment on american history and of course the underground railroad is a huge part of that i absolutely cannot confirm that i learned about i knew about the underground railroad and i've learned about it somewhere along the line but i have no recollection of specifically where and i'm not sure it was in school I don't recall ever doing a project or a section or a part of a class on it, but I did learn it somewhere along the way. I've been, you know, aware of it and how it worked and what happened. But I'm also uh, one of those guys that watches fucking YouTube on weird shit. Like there's there's three hour documentaries on the history of the uh, uh, the Russian, you know, oligarchy, and I've listened to the whole goddamn thing. Uh, and it's really kind of weird. <laughs> well, sure. But, I mean, you can learn anything you want on YouTube these days, but you and I went to high school in the same province in Ontario, right? So the curriculum uh, is, yes. yeah, the curriculum is at least partially standard throughout the, uh, throughout the province and in fact, the whole country. So if I learned about it in high school, there's a good chance you did too. Not really. 
I mean, there's there's a, there's a bunch of variants in the yeah. uh, the late '90s or late sorry late '80s, early '90s when I went to high school and yep. other places, and you know we were in the same province, but Sault Ste. Marie and Toronto are different planets. I that's uh, true within that province. So uh, that's true. I don't know. And when exactly. you when you consider electives in high school here, there are things there are courses you can take and others you can skip, right? And I specifically remember taking an American history class. Oh, well, there in, you go. I in, didn't take that shit in, in, uh, yeah, in high school. So maybe, maybe that's one of those cases where it's, you get it or you don't, I don't know, but. I took phys ed every year all the way up until OAC. Remember they had OACs way back when, uh. Yeah, that was in grade 13. It was an extra year of high school for, uh, Ontario students at the time, which doesn't exist anymore. So five years oh. of high school instead of four. Uh, yep. So I took a phys ed all the way through to. Grade 13. I don't think I did. I don't recall though. All right. Well, I. Band? Oh yeah, I took band. I didn't take American history. That's for sure. No, you were taking gym and band. (laughs) Nothing against gym and band. (laughs) Physics and discrete mathematics and calculus. Okay. So you were, you were using your brain for that stuff. Oh, now I'm going to get in trouble for implying that phys, uh, phys ed and band are not are bird courses, but I'm not saying that, even though I kind of was, I, okay, not seriously. Phys ed, grade 12 phys ed was, uh, was a joke. There was like 50 students and three teachers and you could take, uh, you get to choose a bunch of stuff that happened in two week blocks. And then, uh, out of the entire school year, uh, two of those two week blocks had to be in class learning of some kind. So the two week blocks I took included fucking sailing so we went sailing uh, on the on the, the St. Mary's River. Uh, I took uh, goddamn tennis. Uh, we played capture the flag. Uh, it was a bullshit class. Like it was, I'd get up in the morning. I had two classes and two spares that semester. One was phys ed. The other one was fucking calculus. Uh, so I'd get up in the morning. I'd have a spare. I'd go to phys ed. I'd go sailing. I'd show up at school, have lunch, have another spare. And then go to fucking calculus? I don't think so. <laughs> so. I skipped a lot of calculus that year. After your morning of sailing and lunch eating. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that was my high school curriculum. Wow. So when you say it was a, it might have, you feel bad about saying it was a bird course? Absolutely was a bird course. It was crazy. It was nuts. Okay. Well, I, uh, I just don't think I did gym that deep into high school. But I, I mean, I remember like the you know, the in, the in classroom stuff with Jim, like you, I, I mean, I, I actually remember some like sex ed classes and things like that and, yeah. uh, you know, health class and so on. So, yeah, we got down to the chemical processes involved in muscle contraction, Ooh. right? Like it wasn't like that was some of the in class stuff. So it wasn't really, it was pretty serious when you got into the in class stuff, right? The out of uh, classroom education was fucking stupid well i mean not stupid sailing there's nothing stupid about sailing it's just sailing it's sailing i mean i like tennis that was pretty good class too yeah (laughs) okay uh let's continue here i've got an email coming up from lewis in norwich england lewis says how much has this show been transformed 
under Angela Kang's stewardship. Sure, it's taken a decade, but in that time, the show has gone from two white dudes sitting in a car bitching about their wives leaving lights on to four capable independent women from a range of demographics navigating the post-apocalyptic world to search for their sister. And that is a way more interesting story to watch. I'm sure people will have umbrage with the pasty parkour partridge family, (laughs) but for me, this was one of the best episodes in years, probably in my top five eps of the entire run. Oh man, I didn't know they were in a band. What? The parkour partridge family. The partridge family was a band, weren't they? The pasty parkour partridge family. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't realize it was a band. That makes all the difference in the world. Completely reframes everything for you. Singing and dancing their way across the country. I think that's wonderful. Very good stuff. What jumped out at me from Lewis's email here is the reminder that, yeah, Rick and Shane, opening scene of the pilot, sitting in the police car, complaining about they're the women in their lives leaving leaving the lights on. And look how f- far we've come from that kind of stereotype. Absolutely. You yeah. Uh, and, you know, this show uh, for a long time, I mean, sure, that, that seems questionable now, uh, you know, in retrospect. But this show for a long time really doesn't give a shit about anything uh, as far as the, the personal lives of the people, you know, who they are, what they are. Uh, anything about them whatsoever, uh, it really doesn't care. It doesn't matter what your, uh, your what your creed or what your belief system is or who you are. I see what you're saying. Uh, how old you are, anything. It doesn't. Uh, it does not factor into the capabilities that you have in surviving the uh, the apocalypse. Yeah, and, that's and it's wa- it's it's a wonderful show for that reason. Absolutely, uh, absolutely. It's uh, it doesn't fall down in the area of representation, I would say, and of, of yeah. all kinds of different types of people and doesn't fit anyone into some predefined box that you might think they fit into. So I think that's fantastic about the show. One of the things that, that they've always done really well and that should be commended for. I agree. All right. Next, we have an email from Laura in Montreal. I recently read an article from Insider, and apparently when filming season 11, Lauren uh, Ridloff made a request not to see Angel Theory. Theory or Theory? I say Theory. Angel Theory. Theory. Angel Theory on the set until they were reunited for the first time in this week's episode. So not only were they acting out a scene of two sisters reunited for the first time, in reality, it was also the first time the actors have seen each other in person since before the pandemic. Well, thank you for pointing that out, Laura. I didn't know that. I had not heard that news. So if that's true, that's really, really cool. And honestly, I wish the reunite scene there at the end was a little bit longer a little bit more to it because it feels like it was hey everybody's back hug and cut away you know yeah i i think if it was really that quote-unquote real they could have lingered a little bit more with it you know they could have i like when uh, when tv and movies do this kind of stuff like they actually uh, try and uh, get genuine reactions out of people for by doing things like this or for not seeing each other for a long time. Mm-hmm. The one that jumps out at me is saving Private Ryan. Everybody uh, in the squad that was going after Private Ryan had to go through a military boot camp for six weeks before they uh, started filming. Wow. So they were exercising and practicing and using firearms and uh, doing all that kind of stuff. But uh, damn it, what's his name? Private Ryan, famous actor. Tom Hanks. One, no. The, the private, the, the won an Oscar for Goodwill Hunting, writing. Matt Damon. Matt Damon, thank you. Matt Damon did not do that. 
He did not have to go through that boot camp. He did not have to, uh, in fact, he didn't interact with any of the actors prior to his scenes because they wanted to, they wanted everybody to resent him for not doing, not having to do any of that stuff because the characters were supposed to resent Private Ryan for for having to go out of their way and put their lives on the line for this schmuck that uh, didn't do anything and gets to fucking go home as soon as they find him. That's cool. So, I mean, it adds a, it adds a cool. level of authenticity to it in a way, I think. Right. Yeah. Like they genuinely resent him a little bit. I'm sure. Well, that was the idea. I'm sure that once they told him that, they're, they, you know, they're actors, I'm sure they did fine, but yeah, you know, they, uh, you know, you put the actors in situations where, uh, you know, you try and elicit a genuine response. Right. I think, um, I think in a case like this though, with Lauren Ridloff and Angel Theory, like it's a little bit it's a little bit nicer when you're trying to gen generate an authentic sort of happy, loving response, you know, not resentment between people. But as you <laughs> right, said, yeah. they're, they're actors and you know, they know what they're doing and stuff like that. But, uh, cool. It's just cool to know. Right. And it, it does, like I said, make me wish there was a little bit more to the reunion, uh, rather than just a quick hug and then we're, we're done. But yeah. Um, you know, there's only so much time in an episode. There's almost only so much time in our lives. It's one of the very most limited quantities, our limited commodities we have. That's very true. Even though it doesn't feel like what feel like it when you're 18 years old, but no, and it really kind of makes me sad. For you know, time being so precious, I spend a lot of my time waiting around for shit to happen, <laughs> and just kind of running out the clock on things. Oh man, it drives me fucking nuts. Starting to drive me more and more nuts as time goes on. As you get older, I'm not surprised. All right, well, I got so much time in my life, and I'm doing it waiting for this. Come on, yeah, and I'm sitting here. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, thank you, Laura, for that tip. And next is a call from Trish. Hey, Chris and Jason, it's Trish in Boston, and I had a few things that I've been meaning to reach out about. So, first topic: Daryl when he's in the house and he's feeding information to the uh, other team below the, the floorboard there. When he mentions about being there for his ex-girlfriend, so to speak, I think he was also feeding that information a little bit as well as trying to play the game because I would assume since Carol knew about her that you know the word was out that he had been with this girl. So maybe it was kind of a just a heads up, like, just to be clear, I'm here because of this girl. I'm not joining the other side. You know, I'm just playing this game for a little while or, or just, you know, more information for them to understand what's going on. All right. That's all. Take care guys. Talk soon. Cool. Thanks, Trish. Uh, yeah, I, I had mentioned that Daryl was talking and feeding information to them, but I was thinking when he was talking about how many of the Reapers there are and stuff like that, but I guess everything Daryl was saying was really well calculated to pass information on down to Maggie and Negan and the group below them, including like, don't worry guys. I'm, I know it seems like I'm with these people, but I'm not, I'm just here because of the girl. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, it, uh, that's a, a really good way of looking at that. Thank you very much for that information. That's, uh, it gives you an insight into the, uh, the genius of Daryl, right? He's uh, very unassuming, uh, on the outside, when, you know, when you look at him, he's just like this dirty friggin' mess. Uh, <laughs> but on the inside, he's incredibly intelligent, uh, and incredibly capable. Uh, but, uh, yes, this, this kind of shows you how, uh, how smart 
Daryl actually is. Because I think don't think in this situation I could think of something to say that would relate two bits of information uh, at the same time so effectively. Like being able to lie to the uh, uh, to one group saying that, uh, you know, like I was saying, it's a master class in how to lie. Mm-hmm. So he's doing that at the same time, giving pertinent information to people that are in hiding yep. uh, and reassuring them that uh, he's not really, uh, he hasn't really turned over to the dark side. Uh, it's, it, it kind of, it's blowing my mind, in fact. That's just good the stuff. Fact and that and be able to do that all at the same time. And you've called yourself a master bullshitter in the past, so. Uh, oh, the bullshit part I could do. It's the relaying the information at the same time that, ah. uh, that, uh, that, that blows my mind. Like the, the lying thing, uh, I, I don't know if I'm quite on this level, like that level of lying. Uh, and even what, uh, uh, Eugene did, uh, that kind of thing. I know that stuff in theory, but I'm out of practice, right? Cause I decided, uh, you know, about 10, maybe 12 years ago, maybe, maybe 15 by now that I would not lie for evil anymore. I would only lie for good. Right. And the last real lie I told to anyone was, uh, not telling my wife that I had bought her an engagement ring and that I was going to ask her to marry me. And I carried that thing around in my pocket for a month, uh, before she knew that it existed. Uh, Cause I had a plan for when that was going to happen and we were going to Montreal, uh, sorry, Quebec city. And I wanted to do it then. Uh, so that was the last real lie I told and it was for good. For very good. Yeah, Absolutely. Yeah, and even now when it's Christmas time and I'm going out to buy presents, <laughs> back when I left the house to buy presents, uh, you know, my Jenny would ask me, "Where are you going?" and I would simply say, "I can't tell you." <laughs> <laughs> That's not a lie, but I'm not telling your information. I'm not going to make something up. I'm just, you know, it's around Christmas time. I'm going out for a little while. I'm not telling you where I'm going. I'm going to be, be back, back later. later. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and that's all you need to know. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So no more lying. You can do whatever you want in that two hour period or whatever it is. Yeah. And you choose to buy Christmas gifts for everyone, which is nice. Yeah. Or you go see a movie or whatever. Yeah, that's, that's right. Get away with whatever I want to do now. It's like, just, I don't have to lie. Just say I'm going out. You're sure. It's the not mo- untrue. The movie theater is <laughs> attached to the mall. Like, you know, I can. It really is. Two birds, really one is. stone. <laughs> okay. Uh, who's next? Uh, Me, an email from Nathan in Sydney. Nathan writes, when Pope said that he continued the discussion with Frost, I couldn't help but wonder whether that was a bluff to put Daryl on edge. This would also make sense of Pope killing Frost so that Frost couldn't couldn't say otherwise. Or perhaps it was not a bluff, in which case Pope might only be keeping Daryl around to get more info, info on Alexandria and to test Leah's allegiance to the Reapers. Yeah, so I think the point here is we don't know what the hell Pope is doing. He may or may not have continued to interrogate Frost. He may have just killed him. Is he? Does he really think that Daryl's on their side? Is he testing Leah? He could be doing one of a million things, and I don't think I don't think we know enough about Pope really to to make a call on what's actually going on here. Uh, I don't think we ever will. I mean, that's the sign of a good cult leader as well. Is that no matter what happens. It was part of the plan. Yeah. And everything's under control and I know more than you and uh, you just have to trust me. It's it, no matter what. Yeah, you're right. And we're going to find out about it through the perspective of Daryl and Leah, probably. So whatever they perceive 
ultimately he's doing is what we will get in terms of what he's doing. So you're right. Uh, I like, I like the way you put that is like, no matter what happens, it was part of the plan. And I think that's, this is the kind of guy that would subscribe to that, you know, approach. Yeah. Just remove the word cult from what I said. What I mean by is, is any leader, any government official or leader or whatever, it doesn't matter. Like it's no matter how, how high up the food chain you go, uh, no matter they believe they don't believe this, but this is the way you have to act that in order to lead a group of people, you have to have this group of people believe that you're absolutely in control and everything is part of the master plan. I guess and, so. But I think in modern uh, democratic politics, there does get to a point, I would say at least in this country, Canada, where you and I live, there does come a point where controversy is irrefutable. Like it's too bad and you have to admit to it. It can happen. It can happen. Sometimes, well, yeah. I mean, that, that bar might be really high, the controversy bar. Uh, but, but, you know, if it, if something happens that is just absolutely off the scale, terrible, you can't be like, well, that was the plan all along, <laughs> you know? Yeah. I mean, there's also the, uh, uh, you know, the, the appearance of transparency, which makes it sound like, you know, it's just saying it's transparently transparent, but it's no, it's just the appearance of transparency. You yeah. have to, it makes it make, make you think that it, you're being transparent. Yes, of course. That was really unfortunate. Uh, or probably wouldn't even say that you acknowledge and deflect. That's the way you deal with, uh, situations. Yes, that was the situation. But what I really want to talk about is this other situation yep. that is much more pressing at this moment. Yes. Some of these guys, well, the politicians generally are always toeing the line, right? There's always an agenda that they want to talk about, regardless of what the say interviewer asks them about. And I have become a little bit more in tune with, the politics of Canada lately, uh, for reasons I don't need to go into, but, um, it, that kind of thing has become just absolutely overwhelmingly evident to me in watching interviews with politicians and oh, you can't, and you can't do that. Their statements. An interview with a politician because the, the whole reason that they get elected nowadays, this is going off the rails pretty big, but the whole reason that they get elected nowadays is that they're able to deal with, uh, press related situations effectively yeah, and that they can think on their feet in a, an interview where they're asked, being asked hardball questions. It's the, you know, being able to acknowledge and deflect without appearing like you're acknowledging and deflecting. Like the one I just did was obvious, uh, you know, just being able to deflect like that, but uh, they're much more skilled at that. Mm -hmm. And the reason that they get elected is because they're very skilled at it and very talented at that kind of thing. So uh, the only recourse I have in my personal life is don't watch interviews with politicians because they're not saying anything. Yeah. Most of the time they're not. That's one of the things I've come to realize. Because he can't say anything. Because if they said anything, then people would hold what they said. Uh, they would be held accountable for what they said. And they can't have that either. No, they can't have that. Who <laughs> wants that? <laughs> That's just crazy. That is just crazy. All right, finally, let's finish her off here with a call from Paul. Y'all. Hi, Chris and Jason. This is Paul from Sligo and Ireland. Long, long time listener and first time caller. I have one major problem at the moment, okay? And that is the Reapers, okay? In my opinion, I'm not going to do any spoilers. In my opinion, the comic book ended pretty badly. Okay, it was all a little rushed at the end, 
And now the show appears to be going down the same road. The Reapers were supposed to believe that these mercenaries were together at the fall and they're still together 12 years later. They're still together. Yet during that time, Leah went off to live in a cabin in the woods like some Marvel superhero who's finished her arc. You know, and while that was going on, apparently Carver was hanging out outside, keeping an eye on her, so he knows all about Daryl. And Pope, I'm getting Bob Hoskins vibes from Pope. He is such a pain in the arse. Come on. There's only a few of them there. There's only one, one Daryl say, 20? Our people could take them, no problem. But, having said that, could they? Because Maggie told us she had to get her Meridian, her best fighters from Meridian, and that was Agatha and Frost and all those guys. They're all dead. Agatha was killed in a season one group of four or five walkers who caught up with her. Come on. Look, at we didn't need the Reapers. We could have went down the Commonwealth route. We could have had lots of things going on with that. That would have been good enough. These guys, apparently, you never see them, according to Maggie, because by the time you see them, you're dead. They're amazing until they're not, until they actually turn up on the show and they're absolutely rubbish and they stop wearing their masks. Why? You know, first of all, it's the rain of bullets. Everyone's getting killed, arrows flying everywhere. And now we've got these idiots who can't find a root cellar. Boys, love the show. Absolutely excellent. Keep it up. We'll be with you right there till the end or to 600 if you go that far. Cheers. Paul in Ireland. Thank you, Paul in Ireland. Why don't you tell us how you really feel about the Reapers? That was awesome. <laughs> yeah, it was great. I wanted to finish with that one because it wasn't really specifically about this episode, but it was more generally about the, the Reapers. And I can't say I really disagree with anything Paul said. They're kind of a weird, inconsistent group that I feel like we don't really need. I don't know. Maybe maybe something exciting is going to come out of it as we wind down towards the uh, mid-season or the first mid-season finale here. Uh, but yeah, I, I don't know. Like I'm I just in general find myself a little bit more interested in what's going on at the Commonwealth. And uh, yeah, that's just the way it is. I, I absolutely agree. Yeah. Yeah, Paul, you're you're right. We don't need these guys. Uh, they don't make any sense. Hopefully, uh, Pope gets killed, uh, and all the fighters that uh, are with Pope get killed, and some of the ones, some of the soldiers, uh, go over and start hanging out with the Alexandrians and are welcomed into the fold, and they have some uh, some good call quality combatants for the uh, near future. For the near future, yeah. Maggie says you don't see them, or by the time you see them, you're dead. Well. We've seen them a lot. Not everyone's dead, except for all of her people who were, as he said, supposed to be her best fighters. <laughs> but, yep. you know. One last thing about Paul is that he said where he's uh, with us until the end, until the bitter end, or until episode 600 if we get that far. Yeah. And I thought that was awesome. It's like, you know, we're, I, we got to put a cap on things, right? If you go past 600, I don't know. But I don't know. We're with, with you until then. The bitter end or 600, whatever comes first. Whatever comes first. I have a feeling we could go beyond 600 too. I just think that's how it's going to play out. Don't know. Uh, but yeah, thanks. Thanks, Paul, for that. And thanks to everyone for writing and calling in this week. It's great to hear all of your thoughts on this episode. Next time, 
on The Walking Dead. It's going to be episode number seven, the uh, penultimate episode for this block. It is called Promises Broken. So send in a title read for that. I have one already, but uh, that doesn't mean you can't send yours in. So please do. And then uh, we will be recapping that coming up on Monday next week. Of course, as usual. All right. That's going to do it for this podcast, everyone. Thanks again for tuning in and contributing. If you would like to get in touch with us, you can do so by visiting TalkingDeadPodcast.com, clicking on Send Voicemail at the top and recording a message for us. You can also send emails to TalkingDeadPodcast at gmail.com or find us on Twitter at TalkingDead. All right. Anything else, Jason, before we go? We're all done. I'm all done, sir. All done. Very good. Thanks for tuning in, everyone. Until next time, my name is Chris. My name is Jason. Thanks for listening. Bye.